Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics, right here on Blog Talk Radio. to the Elysium Project. I am your host for tonight, Hercules Invictus, and this is the fourth Wednesday of the month, so we're focusing on vocation. And our first guest is Mr. Dave Solano, who is a cybersecurity expert. Greetings and welcome, Dave. How are you? Very good, Hercules. Thank you. Now, how did your journey take you to the field of cybersecurity? Well, I, I have to say, um, getting out of high school as a senior, I really didn't see college in, in my desires. I wanted to mm-hmm. learn something and do something. So I graduated in June, and in July, I entered the Air Force. I chose a career in computers back then and um, went to basic training and then the usual technical training. Um Unfortunately, the computers I thought I was getting were not the ones I ended up with. I wanted the big computers that are in mainframes and all that, but they had me working in aerospace on aircraft, on aircraft computers, which was okay. Um, It was exciting. It was, you know, a challenge, and, um, you know, with the different wars going on, it was nice to say that we could see our country being protected by, um, you know, by, by our defense arsenal. And uh, it was great to, um, you know, come out of what would have taken a college student to go through a couple of years of schooling. They give you a crash course starting out in basic electronics and systems engineering and uh, actual hands-on on the airplanes, um, you know, maintaining the systems. And I was fortunate to get into a system that's referred to as electronic warfare. And that's the systems that protect the planes from being shot down from missiles, okay. and um, it, it really got into the bits and bytes of electronics, and um, it was, you know, they call it spooky stuff and black boxes, and 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 uh, refer to it in terms of that, because sometimes when they get down to explaining how the things operate, it reaches a point to where they don't tell you, because 
the person who designed it doesn't want anybody else to know about it. And um, it was interesting. It was a cat and mouse game. In other words, we we developed defense systems. We knew what the intelligence showed as far as the radar parameters. We were able to tweak those, turn them around, and and make the radar operators think we're somewhere else where we uh -huh. weren't. And um, you know, it was a constant. Um, you know, we got to collect information, find out what kind of radars are being used, and then we have to build defenses against it, and then. Um, they would figure out we know what they're doing, and they would make changes. So I'm, I'm relating that because when I get to cybersecurity in our current world, it's um, it's a bigger cat and mouse game. Um, you know, before in the military, it was strictly your your defense. You know, military um, organizations that were involved in it. But now I stayed in electronics, and then I went into engineering, became an engineer. Um, I did 10 years in the Air Force. I got out and went into the Air National Guard, and I um, was very um, very happy in, in terms of what I was doing. Um, and, of course, things change. So in, in our world, change is a constant. You've got to, yeah. you know, either, either you change or you die and wither away. So I changed in terms of, of my career. It started unfolding out of the defense industry. And um, I took my skills as a program project manager, and I applied mm -hmm. them into information systems. So I um, worked on different uh, systems you're, implementations. You're still guarding us, though. You're you're still defending uh, people against uh, external uh, attacks, although in a different uh, uh, playing field. But it, 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 it's that you did change, you did grow, but the core of who you are seems to still be there, guiding your uh, your actions. Exactly, exactly, Hercules. And I feel that even though um, you know I retired from the military and uh, I'm a veteran, I, I still maintain my um, my integrity and values because as I began to learn the computer systems, and I got excited when the PC revolution came out. I I grew up from from a mainframe. I transitioned over into PCs, and I began to see how great they were. Then they became so prevalent, and this thing called the Internet came out. Uh, yes. It started with an old-fashioned called, word called a bulletin board, and old-timers know bulletin boards were the first kind of Internet thing that they had where they could you know, collaborate with people. And then, of course, the, um, the World Wide Web came out, and everything exploded. And I was, um, I was very much attuned to the sign of the times and I started to hear all of these evil things now there's evil people out there and they just find different tools to operate with so they decided or they figured out gee I can't get into your house because you lock your door and you keep me away from your children but then children started to use the internet and parents who weren't anyways near aware of what was going on basically allowed their kids to have free reign, some of them even allowing them to take a computer into a bedroom and exploring, and exploring with access to all kinds of evil. So what I took out at that time was I started Internet safety training. I was involved in the parent-teacher associations, and mm -hmm. I, I, just, I just felt that I had to shake these parents and say, wake up, folks. You've got to get smart. You've got to protect your child. You know, there's some real serious stuff happening. And this is before social media exploded. You know, this is just, you know, the the um, people started getting uh, con connecting with one another through email. AOL was the big email daddy at the time. 
And, uh-huh. um, you know, listen, I hear people say, oh, I don't let my kids near a computer. My kid can't handle a phone. Uh, it's the same paradigm as a parent says, no, my kids don't watch TV. There's too much evil there. Well, you really are denying an opportunity to have education take place. Now, it's like everything else as a parent. Um, I've got four children. <laughs> the youngest is 25, but they'll always be my children. And um, I, I was very protective. I, you know, made sure that um, I exerted certain controls because as a mm-hmm. parent, these children have no idea what they're being exposed to. It's like walking down a street in a neighborhood you don't know. And you look around you and you begin to see certain characters and you know they're not going to be very friendly. So you either avoid that side of the street or that neighborhood or you keep your children close to you. And um, right. the, the paradigm I'm, I'm building up is, like you had said, I took it upon myself to make sure that I could get as much training to parents and, and, and educate them and, and teach the t- children how to use this beautiful tool. And, um, you know, within that, I took it to the next level. In, in, my, in, in my private sector experience working in corporations, um, you know, I worked in, in infrastructure, as they call it. That's the backbone of a company in terms of the networks and the computers and applications and all. And, you know, we began to see the threat hitting the wallets of corporate America. So in that space there, I got smart again, keep on retooling, as they say, sharpen the saw. And uh-huh. I began to realize that, you know, you got to stay on top of this. Now, you referred to me as a computer expert, and I'll humbly say, um, anybody who is an expert in cybersecurity, I'll scratch my head because then it's like saying you've become like Watson on the uh, IBM AI model and you've absorbed everything possible. Um, You know, the good thing about being an expert is he doesn't know where everything is, but he knows who and where to go to get it. So that that I've developed as a project manager and building teams of people working together. Um, and where I am now today is yes. I'm vice president. Around. How did you get from there to uh, uh, InfraGuard, which sounds like a, a wonderful endeavor? Right. So here I was on the inside of corporation looking out and learning how we have to protect ourselves. And, um, and, and then uh, I was a member of InfraGuard going back to 2004. Now, InfraGuard is an organization that was started by the FBI. Anybody who's worked in the public sector, which is government, knows that they have a hard time building inroads into the private sector, into corporations. Now, InfraGuard being a law enforcement organization, you know, if if somebody says uh, Special Agent Hercules calls them in from the FBI, they start getting nervous. You know, it's like having the IRS say, uh, we want to look at your tax return. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's a little bit different. Um, the, the the FBI is is tasked to, uh, to to actually identify and secure the criminal elements out there. But where I was working is before the crime even occurs. And that's the important, what we call a demarcation point or the line where we want to get in front of the threat so that it doesn't right. run us over, you know. So with that and learning about InfraGuard and, you know, one of the things I was always told is hang out with people that are as smart or smarter than you. 
this organization, I surrounded myself by by real experts. Um, our previous chapter president was the senior vice president of cybersecurity for Bank of America. And in technology, people have lots of titles. They got lots of alphabets after their name. They get right. all these certifications. And, you know, um, you begin to see when a person uses a title, whether they were just good at taking a test or they mm-hmm. really understand and apply the knowledge. And right. um, my, my colleague, who is really my mentor, um, the, the man has extreme knowledge. He's developed patents. He's got into something, one aspect of cybersecurity. It's called biometrics, and people may not know what that term is until the iPhone started having you use your thumbprint to open up your your application. So your thumbprint is the biometrics. When you watched all the spy movies and you saw the the, um, iris signature on your eyes, you'd look into it, it would map your eye and it'd say, yes, that's Hercules and there's only one Hercules. I can't, I can't fudge. I can put a mustache on and some dark rim glasses, but I know when I go in his eyes or I look at his fingerprint, those biometrics um, are, right. are, are key, key traits. And, and the other part of, of um, this field that has intrigued me, because I'm, I'm a science lover. I've, I had chemistry sets. I loved bi- I almost went into being a lab technician in a hospital because I love biology so much, and then I found out I couldn't support myself um, <laughs> unless yeah. I had a master's degree. And anyway, um, and, and obviously I, I made a good decision because the, the labs all became automated. And of course, except for the pathology where they grow specimens, all the rest is all put it in a tube, spin it, and, and, and run a test on it. So getting back into technology and, and, and finding out, you know, there's so much out there and applying what do I want to do? I want to work in an organization that partners with the FBI because they have access to information. Now, I've held a top secret clearance in the military, so I know darn well you know, what the difference is between the C, which means confidential, and the C that one great person said, oh, that stands for the paragraph number. No, it doesn't. <laughs> it's either confidential, secret, or top secret. You know. But um, working with the FBI um, in, in a civilian capacity, we get access to unclassified information, but it's privileged because it's not releasable to the public. And what does okay. that do for us? I have, I have stuff that as soon as it comes out, they vet it out, making sure it's correct, and they share it with key people in the industry that need to know what is happening. And the threats, um, the threats are un- unbelievable because they're coming from all over the place. You know, once upon a time that old Soviet Union had a country that was pretty well locked down and the people were not allowed to grow and have freedom. And, and then all of a sudden, we all know what happened. It broke up and these countries um, got their freedom and people started saying, well, I got no skills. I can't get a good job that's going to earn me money. And they became the bad guys. You know, they found out I can steal better than I could earn. And, and that's what they've been doing. You know, uh, we don't so even know who. You're part of the, 
uh, defensive uh, line. And you were kind enough to send me three um, newsletters. Uh, you had sent them to uh, our other guests uh, tonight, Councilman Mark Zinn, and I forwarded them, them over to Christine Evron, who Thank is you. Uh, the president of our local chamber of commerce. So we're all kind of like on the, on the same page. I'm going to bring them in. And is there one you'd like to start with? Well, um, I guess the, the the door opener is the phishing messages, and I'll go. Okay. I'll talk about what the phishing, and that's with a P H I S H, not an F. <laughs> so I will welcome Christine Evron, president of the Tenafly Chamber of Commerce, and much, much more. Well, greetings and welcome, Christine. It helps if I take the mute off my phone. Okay. Welcome, thank you. <laughs> And uh, greetings, Mark Zinna. Mark is uh, the councilman here in uh, Tenafly. He's running for mayor, and he is a business owner. Greetings and welcome, Mark. Good evening. How are you doing, Hercules? Okay, I'm d- doing awesome, and I'm glad that uh, we're all here. And uh, Dave, who sent us over this wonderful information, uh, wants to start with how to spot uh, phishing messages like a pro. So, uh, Dave, the microphone is back in your hands, and uh, let's start. So, um, and and by the way, uh, two things, Hercules, you really put together a great group tonight because, A, um, yes, I worked in the private sector. I'm currently a a small businessman myself. Uh, You know, I work with technology and helping companies. Uh, I've been a number – I've been involved in a number of chambers of commerce and business associations. I've always had a, a love for business and how things work. And, um, and and on the government side, I've always been connected to my elected officials, whether it was in my advocation for public education and working with the parent leaders in the, in the New York City school system or, or um, being on the number of business uh, technology advisory boards for the schools. And, um, and Christine, the work that you do, uh, you know, at, at – um, at, at our businesses and the front end, as I'll call it, working, working in the uh, councils like that, um, you know, I, I fully appreciate and, and have total respect for the hard work it takes to, to be a productive and efficient um, organization. So um, we were talking before, you know, cybersecurity is a very broad term, and there's many different aspects and elements within it. So um, we were talking about what is the most imminent threat? How do people get inside your knickers? Okay. Well, you keep your doors locked at night. Okay. And that's your physical security. And, uh, you have your bank accounts secured with passwords and, um, you know, sometimes even sophisticated, what they call two factor authentication, which means I'm not only going to put in a password, but it's going to text me a code, and when it gets to my phone that I own, I have to put that code in because um, nobody else has my phone. Um, so um, that element of security is, is the first protection that you have. So phishing is the bad guys are going to try to catch you off guard. They're going to try to spoof you. They're going to say, Hercules, I'm the um, account executive from Bank of America, and we found that your password was compromised, so I need you to click on this link and reset your password. And, you know, a lot of people do that. Um, they also might get a letter from the IRS and say, you know, uh-huh. uh, 
we had a, a review of your last year's tax returns, and we need to make sure that you have the correct Social Security number. So, Christine, would you please give me your Social Security number, and I'll validate that uh, your your tax returns are in order, and and I'll I'll let you know that everything is okay. Um, these 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 things have gotten craftier and craftier, and in my client work. Um, I've seen everything from, you know, bank fraud, the financial services sector, to to um, to schemes where uh, people have been been um, spoofed to say, um, by the way, Mark, um, you know, I, I'm calling from the sheriff's office, and your son's been arrested. Now I got an attorney here that's going to save you a lot of trouble. Can you email him two thousand dollars in gift cards? <laughs> And you may laugh, and you may laugh, but how do they know I have a son? How do they know his name? Well, here's part of the problem, folks. We tell everybody. We put stuff on social media, and we let people know who we are, what we are, where we are. I'm going on vacation for the next two weeks. Oh, great. Nobody's going to be home. you know. But the phishing emails, getting back to, to how do they get in, they're trying uh-huh. to get you to turn over your crown jewels. They want passwords. They may ask you, but that's too hard. So they'll get you to click on this link to say, oh, Hercules, you want a free gift card. Click here to redeem it. Now, while you're clicking on this link and these pretty things are happening on your computer, they're actually going inside your computer and they're gathering all the stuff that you've done, all the stuff that's got fingerprints, footprints in your computer, and they might even leave a little recorder in there. It's called a keylogger. So you're going to say, okay, here's this gift card. It'll be in the mail. And you're waiting. Meanwhile, you go and you log on to your bank account and mm-hmm. you perform a transaction and you log off. They've got your information. They'll go ahead and right away they'll either sell it or they'll start trying to steal and redistribute money you know, right away. So um, it's, it's not only the consumer – but it's also the corporation. We so, had Mark, uh, our bank ahead. account hacked uh, recently, and uh, we got a call uh, claiming to be from our bank. Mm-hmm. So uh, I thanked them for the call, did not give any information on the phone. I called the bank and verified that it was right. indeed uh, they that called us, and we proceeded uh, for there because uh, I've heard way too many stories of people giving information, thinking it's uh, – uh, from an institution that they trust and finding out that it wasn't. Right, exactly. So they're fishing. They're trying to figure out, what can I find out about you? How can I try to trick you into revealing some information? And, and you know, you, you said the first key word there. Um, you know, when I get a call, and I, listen, I'm able to, <laughs> I actually play around with some of them. Like, I get the guy from Microsoft that says, we found the virus on your computer, so I want you to take this URL and click on it. And, and I put the URL into Google, and I'm looking at it. All the red flags are coming up, you know. And, and um, you know, <laughs> they may not get me, but believe it or not, I'm, I'm not even going to quote any numbers, but the dollars are unbelievable we, you know, there is a strong bleed out there, and you know they may not throw a bomb on the United States, but when they hit our wallets and our financial systems, we're we're in deep trouble. And Christine, you working with with businesses, you know they have all levels 
of knowledge and expertise. Some might have a computer guy that works for them. Somebody might hire a consultant, you know, depending upon their finances. And some just are going to try to, I'm going to hold back and, and I'm not going to do anything until I have to. And unfortunately, sometimes when they have to, they have to hold up and they no longer are able to continue. So, Dave? Uh, yeah. Um, yes. For my clients, or not my clients, the people in the Chamber of Commerce, pretty much they know not to click on these strange phishing scams. But what right. can they do? But I've, I've heard statistics that 30% of businesses, even trying to be vigilant, are going to by accident click on a phishing scam. What can they do to protect themselves? You touched on something very important, and this is what I say not only to clients but out in the corporate world. There's those who have been hacked, and there's those who don't know they've been hacked. And and if you look at if you look at the Experion, the breaches that have taken place, the Target, okay, those breaches that take place. Now, when when you have corporate responsibility and you have, and, and I'm very hard on acronyms. I don't like people just throwing them around if they don't know what's being done. PII, personally identifiable information. Your name, your social security number, your mother's maiden name, those key authentication factors that that is now an old paradigm. Um, and I say old because now most systems are asking to secure you through two-factor authentication, which means, okay, you give me your password, well, I'm going to give you a pin to your device, either your home phone number or your cell phone, and, and you have to tell me what that is so I know who I'm dealing with. So um, what can they do um, in, in terms of, of staying up to date? Well, I shared with you um, a couple of newsletters. and I'm sorry, Christine, uh, here, please forward them to you, uh, about a couple of the topics that are, that are really out there. The first one, and I shared it with Mark um, right away, was the season we're in, the tax return season. Now, you know, I'm, I am a victim like everybody else. A couple of years ago, um, the foreign government hacked into the U.S. government OPM personnel system, and in there sat my top-secret clearance, which was a very thick file because when you go for a clearance, you have to reveal everything about you and everything you've done. And, you know, I... I heard about it. I, I was, you know, okay. I didn't get any notice from the government. And then a year or two goes by, and I start getting calls from Michigan, the state, saying, your tax return was filed. And uh, I'm like, what the heck? I call them. I said, I've never worked in Michigan, and <laughs> I never lived in Michigan, so I don't know what you're talking about. And I should have started to see the signs because what the bad folks did is they went to the state levels, and they started trying to infiltrate those. Well, and then finally I get a letter from the IRS in February. Um, we have a question about your tax return. You have to um, get back to us and, and tell us certain pieces of information. Uh, my tax return wasn't filed yet, A. B, when I do file one, I file it jointly with my wife. So I was I, my, my uh, identity was, was compromised, and a tax return was filed. So getting back to what can I do to, to – um, what can I do to protect myself is I went ahead and called all of the uh, credit bureaus, the agencies, and I told them, you know, what happened, and I was compromised, and I now have a PIN when I file my tax returns. All right, so how did I know what to do? Well, I began to 
read a lot of the latest stuff that goes on in terms of protection and and uh you know we all see this uh, commercials for identity theft and um you know i'm not going to say uh, i i don't have um a subscription to to um lifeguard or whatever that that one subscription service is but i feel that i've taken other measures so the first question you have to ask has there been any possibility that my identity has been compromised so take advantage of the free credit reports Make sure you know what's out there about you. And um, what I did is I put a lock so that if anybody tried to open up an account, um, you know, they, I would have to personally contact the credit bureau. For other matters, um, you know, uh, a lot of businesses, I, I would just say just get smart and and either um, attend a lot. Of, I, I've done a lot of um, seminars uh, for the Queen's Chamber of Commerce with InfraGuard. I brought in um, one of the special agents in the, in the uh, cybersecurity world, and I had him talk to the corporations about what the current threats are. There's a number of public available newsletters. Um, the ones that I got, I just shared with you. They come from an organization called um, the MSISAC, which is a multi-state information sharing and analysis center. And they put together this information Hercules, one of the things, and, 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 and Mark and Christine, one of the things that is, that is good to take advantage of is information sharing. So um, whether it's a, an organization like a chamber of commerce or a business association, or whether you guys in, in New Jersey have a Newark InfraGuard chapter, um, I've been over there. And I have to say the state of New Jersey has something called the NJKIC, the New Jersey Cybersecurity Information Center. And that center is your state intelligence center that's primarily out there to protect all of your government, state government agencies and people. And they've put out a fantastic newsletter of, of the current um, threats and, and what to be uh, concerned about. And I can forward that over to you folks after after the call. And you don't have to be—you don't have to be a geek to understand it. Um, although they'll start telling you things that you may not know, but when it comes up and it says, "Okay, um, we, we have a problem with uh, this particular business sector," um, take your choice—you uh, uh, know, um, any kind of institution that does financial transactions—they'll start telling you what's currently going on in terms of. Um, actual threats. Now, they, they are focused more toward the public sector for Jersey, but a lot of people in the private sector deal with the state. And, you know, there's an inter interchange of information to, to, to share and, and work hand in hand. So um, if, you ha if you work in critical infrastructure, and that term is used in terms of membership uh, eligibility for InfraGuard, if you work in financial services, energy, um, uh, any of the uh, any any of the um, areas that that are concerned about our nation's critical infrastructure, you're eligible to become a member of InfraGuard. Um, you do get vetted by the FBI. You do have to be a citizen, and you do have to have a clean record, meaning no indications of financial issues or or felonies on your record. So with that. Um, you'll get admitted into into your local chapter, and and as as we do for the New York Metro chapter, 
we hold these summits at least once a month, sometimes twice. We hold webinars. We try to share information and get the information out to people. And some of them are public. So if you're not a member, you're able to come. There's only certain summits that we have that, that are for, you know, um, InfraGuard members only. So I'd say just connect with people, and, and uh, I'll help as much as I can for you. Dave, Mark's in here. How are you doing, Steve? Good, Mark. Good, good. I have a, a, a quick statement and uh, a question for you. So part of my business interests, I'm, I work in the electronic discovery field, and, um, and uh, what we do is we take uh, – electronic evidence for very large, complex commercial litigation. And we have, and I'm, I mean, not these particular people are clients. I just want to give an example. If Exxon is suing General Motors, you know, someone will give us a password. We tunnel into their servers and gather email evidence and data and things like that um, for furtherance uh, in a litigation discovery process. But right. I've always, I've, and I've been in this industry about for 10 years now, and I've always found it quite amazing how easy it is to access the data of very large, complex organizations. And their systems are almost so complex, they can't even tell what you're doing when you're in there. And so when you hear about uh, compromises at Target or Equifax or whoever it might be, some of this in the industry, you know, we're having a cup of coffee at breakfast. We're looking at each other like, well, we're not surprised um, because in, unless you're the person in the IT room, you really, you know, business executives really have no idea how vulnerable their organizations are. And, um, you know, I'm on the side of the business where we're hired by law firms um, so myself and competitors and colleagues, you know, we, 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 it, it's in our best interest to always be legitimate because the information itself doesn't mean anything to us. It's actually mm-hmm. the processing in, is what we get paid for. But it just never ceases to amaze me how vulnerable these organizations are. And notwithstanding all the safety measures, the real challenge, the, the real, the real challenge or the weak link in the process are the humans. Who are, who exactly. compromised very easily. Well, that's what phishing deals with, the human factor, the human element, the, the person behind the computer and um, and the, the most vulnerable um, element in, in terms of how do they get through. And, you know, um, it's not only the outside infiltrating the inside. Um, one of the current um, areas that, that – that institutions are getting smart on is what we call the inside threat, all right? And that's the person who's and and I I know of a case where an individual is working for the company. He had access to all of their data, uh, actually all of their client data, and uh, you know throughout the course of his term, uh, something happened and uh, he was let go. Well, he happened to have been. Uh, taking data and, and, you know, taking it off site and, and archiving it and keeping it. And um, he thought he was going to be real smart when he left and go to a competitor and start utilizing that data. Mm-hmm. But people don't realize <laughs> everything in electronics has a fingerprint. We call it breadcrumbs, you know, 
It has right. it has uh, it shows information and um, you know even to compare it to something non technical like like artwork you know artwork will have a little pixel and it looks like a color but inside that pixel if you were to expand it it actually gives the creator and originator so they can tell um, copied items from from originals and stuff like that. It used to be the signature was good enough, but that can be fraud, you know, fraudulently copied. So, um, in terms of the, the the corporations, and I, and this is where I'm really trying to keep on top of of learning how to best defend against it, and and also how to educate and inform a particular um, uh, company about you know what do what do you need to do, what do you need to protect. And there's three elements I call it the triangle in technology. There's the people, mm-hmm. there's the business process, and then there's the tools. And everything costs money. People, human capital, has a big price tag to it. And you know, if I'm going to to um, purchase some tools, some software, some applications to help me guard my my system, it's going to cost me um, money. But if I have a a business and my process the way I do things is is muddy. It's crazy. There's no maturity. They talk about process maturity, and what does that mean? It means that when I do something in a transaction, that transaction is done the same way consistently. It has no, you know, 10 different people might be doing that, but they're not doing it 10 different ways because what would that be? That would be chaos, right? So it's uniformity and consistency in, in terms of doing things. So businesses realize, okay, I've got a procedure on doing things, and the technology is starting to say, gee, I had somebody come in on Saturday, and they performed some work, they logged in, and this person doesn't usually come in on Saturday. Uh, You know, some people come in and work overtime, I understand that. But in this case here, certain access is is um is confined to usually on premise or within your network and you you know you you can't uh, you can't do things too easily remotely so these these actions these transactions these these logins and and watching what kind of data is being transferred um that's that's how they keep track of stuff um a lot of companies have rules if you're I, I'm a consultant when I go in and I work on their premise I can't transfer data outside of their network. I can't put it in my email. I can't FTP it, file transfer protocol it, send it over to my uh, my home server. You know, they have these restrictions and the technology has the ability to, to watch and, and keep track of, of what's happening. But un- unfortunately, like you had said, Mark, some of the stuff is just so huge. Um, in the network area, we call it monitoring. And there is just so much stuff to monitor. Well, how do I really stay out of the weeds and, and try to stay focused on what the real, you know, bings and bongs are? What What is really, you know, going wrong and, and how do I keep track of it? And it, and that just um, that comes along with business maturity on, on how smart and, and, and developed my systems are, how well-trained my people are. You know, um, one of the things I've been working on is um, – is our workforce for tomorrow, and I, I'm a cybersecurity mentor with an organization called Cyber Workforce Alliance, and they partner with universities to run these actual virtual internships 
for students who are interested in cybersecurity. And look, you know, one of the things that frustrated me about college was all the theory. I want to learn the real stuff, the stuff I need to get my hands on things. And I, you know, I wanted to stay away from, from, from stuff that felt useless to me. Well, now when they have this internship program, these students take on the role of a cybersecurity person, whether it's the chief information security officer or whether it's the, um, the behavioral analyst, which is a term and a position that they use now. And they learn through the assignments and the coursework what those people do. And what happens is mentors, people who are actually in the field like myself, we're volunteers. We sit in on their presentation and we give them feedback you know, to say, listen, if you're going to go apply to a company for an internship or you're going to graduate and you're going to apply for a job, actually this process that they developed, this one student got a job with um, uh, one of the big companies in, in Manhattan and started making 80000 a year. Now, that's, that's not just with a bachelor's degree. That's a bachelor's degree with this cyber internship so she was already ahead of anybody who, who even you know just graduated you know in in terms of of their um, you know the degree she had some insight to experience so she was very far ahead of it. Um, this need out there for technology is is really going to be our our um, straw that breaks breaks the camel's back, and I say that because. The, the baby boomers, I, I'm considered a baby boomer, um, if and when I retire, this, there's going to need to be a replacement. But the growth from technology and, and cybersecurity has, has just exploded. So, Mark, to your point, you know, what do you need? Well, I don't just throw bodies in there. I need talent. I need trained talent. And I need mature systems and processes to, to add to my defense arsenal. And, and again... Um, there's a flood of information out there. Uh, you know, you kind of have to um, make some sense of it and say, well, where do I begin? Now, I'm not promoting or selling a book, but one of my colleagues uh, who retired from the FBI last year and, and is down in, in um, Tennessee, Nashville, he just came out with a book, The Secret to Cybersecurity, A Simple Plan to Protect Your Family and Business from Cybercrime. Um, Scott started out his career in the New York office of the FBI as an accountant, and he got interested in the career in the Bureau and became an agent, and he grew up in the FBI with the onset of cybercrime and cybersecurity and technology, and, and when, the, when the banks started to bleed and the financial institutions started to suffer losses, he was there to go out and, and do these investigations. And the book is... Um, simple to read uh it's it's a uh, an awakening when you look at and read the stories of some of the actual things that have taken place um uh, I, I think you'll come out feeling relieved that you're a little bit smarter so if you you get a chance and i'll send that information over to you afterwards I mentioned thank you beforehand. i appreciate that yeah scott's going to be in I new york for part of your presentation. Uh, I had the board crash and all my normal ways of getting back in uh, failed, so I had to be very creative and I finally got back into the show. But, uh, I thought I heard the door creak when you came hear, in. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Everything sounds like phenomenally uh, fascinating. And uh, if you give me the contact information for your friend, I'd like to invite them uh, to to give us further information on the show. That sounds uh, like a, a wonderful resource. Yeah, he's going to be in in a, He's going to have, the book is just um, going to be released at Barnes and Noble at some point in time. Okay. So when he flies in, I'll I'll let you know. And um, thank you. you. Know, yeah, we'll definitely keep in touch with him. And he actually, we've been trying to connect over the last year, but with his retirement and his just um, his demand has been so popular. He's he's been pulled in all these directions to go to all these conferences and presentations. But uh, he's a great guy. He's a you know, he's married with children, and, uh, and and his and his story is heartwarming, and it's not too big of a book to read. So something that I think can apply to the business person or. Um, or, or the person at home that just wants to be smarter and doesn't have time to digest a lot of stuff. <laughs> you know, you can no, get indigestion from it. <laughs> I did How do we stay vigilant on your enough? Oh, right, Christine. Christine, go I'm ahead. Sorry. I, I just, I did. Oh, yeah. I See, there you go. Yes. <laughs> I was curious. I, I didn't want to flood you with uh, resumes and stuff. I figured you guys are smart enough to pick off my uh, LinkedIn profile. Yeah. So, um, I, I, you know, to me, when I find a winner like that, I, you know, t- I share it. I, I just, you know, it comes back to you in other ways, you know. So I, I feel you, you get by giving. So it's, um, it, it's something that I'm, I'm happy in. And when I see somebody else benefit from something I know, I know how I feel when somebody has shared something with me and I've benefited from what they know. So um, I'm sure, you know, I, I didn't do any, any research on, on uh, your organization, but I'm sure that uh, you have quite a bit of talent. A lot of my friends and colleagues who are in New York Metro InfraGuard uh, live in Jersey. They just happen to come to Manhattan because they either work there or um, they just wanted to be part of, part of ours. But um they're, they're out there. I mean, is a local legend, and she's very active, and uh, as is Mark. And I'm very fortunate to know some incredibly awesome people. And Tenafly is very fortunate in uh, having them here in our community. Excellent. Dave, a point I wanted to make about uh, just to follow up what we were talking about. You know, one thing is uh, easy access to data. Another thing that that I've learned in the past few years, being in this discovery, electronic discovery business, is the types and amount of information. To your point before about Facebook, that people will put out there in cyberspace, and once it's there, they can never take it back. And people like my organization can always find it, even when you think you delete it, you think you've hidden it, you've done whatever. It's there, and it could be found. And um, people, I always find uh, uh, the custodians or the original creators of the information are sometimes shocked. But uh, once you put it out there, it's there. And that's the tagline of one of my colleagues. Once it's gone, you never get it back. (laughs) I I routinely lie to the Internet. I mean, my birthday is not correct and wasn't correct from day one. I made myself much younger. It was wonderful. There you go. See, we're on the same page, Christine. <laughs> and, and I'll tell you a, a, a nice, you know, a nice trick. Um, you know, what, what I was telling you before, what, what's one of the key? And they want to know your mother's maiden name. It's pretty easy to pick to find out and do a little research on who your your mother's maiden name is. So, um, 
don't use the ba- the last name. Use the first name. I mean, it could be any name you make up, but you're screwed. I mean, you're 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 in trouble if you forget it. So, as long as you're consistent, you know. Yeah. But anyway, um, you know, like like I was t- telling Hercules before, fishing is just you know one ele- element of of um of, of a weak point. You know, um, I I was just watching um. Uh, a, a show the other day, and you know, you t- you, in terms of spoofing, if I was if I was to uh, pick up a specific career in cybersecurity, I'm really amazed at forensics because I'm analytical, and I just attended mm-hmm. a nice um, the High Technology Crime Investigation Association, which is made up of a lot of law enforcement technology law enforcement folks. Um, the guy who presented was a consultant, and he was going over the Apple operating system, and I mean, we all know. Um, there's a ton of information inside your phone that even though you think you delete it, it's not. It's still there. But um, looking at looking at this the operating system and looking at how when you know when they get a um, a subpoena to take your phone and and plug in and pull off every one and zero that's inside of that phone, it was just amazing to see you know what what's available to the to the, to the law enforcement that uh, the common crook um, has no clue of, you know, you catch him in the lies, and um, you know, I, I was just amazed that that piece of technology was was um, was phenomenal, and that aspect of law enforcement was good. But as I mentioned before, I'm going to go into social media again, and you know, there, there's something else that um, that's going on, and it's social engineering. So a lot of these corporate executives now, they will protect themselves by hiring a service and the service is you know an organization that is skilled at being able to do like you do mark be able to say what information can i find about out about you okay do you have a kid that's kind of spewing too much stuff about you you know mm-hmm. and I, and i have to i have to bless um you know our fbi coordinator for infraguard she's an agent assigned to the office of the public sector, private sector, and um, you know this woman's been um, in, in the bureau for 27 years in New York, and you know um, you know she's she's worked in um, counterintelligence and and um, worked some hard crimes areas and like man like how do you you know keep your kids from you know kind of revealing too much in, in that aspect versus a, a normal child who who you know. You you kind of you want them to have fun, but you kind of want to tell them that you know you got to be careful. Like you said, it stays there forever. I just was at another um, presentation where the guy was from Apple, and he was talking about the interview process, and he had outstanding applicants make it all the way into the top five, only to go through the last round of the social media check, and they found stuff that they just said they couldn't hire or her. So, you know, it's it's like I tell the the um, youngins of today when I when I give a talk and um, I'll always promote a, a career in a bureau. It's great if you like law enforcement. If you like, you know, uh, I mean, I was in the military, so the military owned my life. When you work for the bureau, they tell you when to work and where to work, and it's not a nine to five job. But there's a lot that comes with it. So, I tell them keep yourself and your record clean because, I mean. Kids can have a felony on themselves easier than we ever thought, you know, whether it's inappropriate porn, 
that that'll show up and and constitute a crime. Or um, I had a a call from a colleague, and he said, you know, my son's in trouble. He had pictures of his girlfriend, and one of the other parents saw it and told me about it. And he told me, he said, don't worry, Dad, it's Snapchat, it's gone. So I gave him a forensic site. I said, take his phone, plug it into your computer, and just follow those instructions. And I'm going to tell you, make sure he's there watching, because those pictures are going to show up. And, you know, you kind of want to give them a reality check that, listen, you can't, they, you know, they, they think they're so smart, but they don't have a clue. They don't have a clue. Mm. And, and, you know, it's like the person who writes the password on their post-it notes. Well, the only, the only difference is if you work in cybersecurity, you put the post-it notes in your drawer and you lock it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> and, and you know, um, unfortunately, passwords is a problem. I mean, I, I worked at one client, and mm-hmm. right away, the first thing that came up is you don't make them change their passwords. Oh, no, no, no. That's too much trouble. You know how many people complain that we made them change their passwords? I'm like, um, yeah, but do you know why? <laughs> I mean, there's a reason for it. Um, I, I'm, my password for access to, to InfraGuard with the Bureau is 16 characters, and i got to change it every three months. Do you think wow. I'm going to remember something unique? No, there's a technique called a passphrase. So you would say, well, Hercules will say, I'm going to take my my um, favorite Greek myth, myth, mythology figure, and I'm going to use that, and I'm going to spell it with, you know, instead of an S, I'll use a dollar sign. Instead of an A, I'll use an at sign. I'll get my number of characters in there. I'll do my uppercase, my lowercase, and a number, and I'm, and I'm good to go. And if you want to sequence it, you can do that. The only thing they just strongly advise is just try to keep it different because there's a website called Have I Been Pawned, and I'll get you that link. It's P-W-N-E-D or something like that. You put in your email address. And they are just going to tell you how many places your email address has showed up that it's been compromised. And wow. you can say, well, I yes. Did, Dave, I did that actually about Good. I don't know, a week ago. And I came up with seven seven comprom- compromises. Yep. Of course, that's yep. my email that is plastered all over the Chamber of Commerce and everything else. What does it really mean that I came up with seven sites that it there are seven times that it was compromised? Well, it means that somewhere that email address appeared on a website that they that they were able to get the information. Now, okay, what like you said, so you got my email address, so what? You don't have my password. Now, that's why they tell you to change it. I mean, anybody that had a, a credit card transaction at Home Depot or anybody that had a Target credit card, you know, any, everybody who had an Experian, Experian account, you know, the first thing they did is they, um, you know, they, they, they told you to uh, get credit monitoring and Target and everybody said, change your password. So, you know, uh, we get lazy, you know, we get lax and, um, you know, and, it, and it's those moments that, that they're trying to find out, okay, let me see if I got your password and even though you changed it, Maybe you you use the same password somewhere else. You know, they might try it. That takes a lot of hard work. <clears throat> and and by the way, it's not done manually anymore. There's password crackers that will just run a series of um of, of uh, attempts to hack your password. Now, 
they, they don't get too far because what happens after you do it five times, you get locked out, right? So they, they make it a little bit harder, but um, they'll, they'll try whatever avenue they can to try to, you know, get information. I was trying to tell you something before about social engineering and, and what the executives do. So one of the things that, um, that these people look for is they try to find, okay, what does your family tree look like? Who can I find out that's, you know, your kid talks to Uncle Joe and Uncle Joe and, you know, they try to connect all these relationships. Have you ever seen a post-it diagram? That's the uh, post-it notes with the little strings and lines drawn yeah. across to, to connect things. So, sure. you know, they try to make uh, a sense out of it. And, you know, it's a real it's a real technique that they use. Why? Because they're going to try to create an email. And, and this is common. The treasurer, I mean, the um the, the human rela- human resources, they want a listing of all of the um, names and social security numbers sent to them. And, and, you know, a lot of times you pick up the phone and you say, Joe, did you just ask me for that? No, I didn't. And they, you know, compromised their system. But thank God, and a lot of times they do, but sometimes they don't. They don't get the information that they're looking for. And how are they going to do it? They're going to try to figure out what person can I – look into can i look into somebody's background who's vulnerable you know joe joe's going through a divorce right now and um he's got a lot of other lady friends that are in his profile here and you know they're, they're gonna look for for ways that people have no idea of why because there's people that have nothing to do and they have everything to gain you know in in terms of time yeah. one of my closest clients he's i can't believe it i won't say the bank but not only was his personal account compromised, it was through check fraud. I couldn't believe it. Um, but his business account was compromised through what we call the ACH transaction. Somebody had his routing and bank code, and they paid their Home Depot bill with it. <laughs> you know? Wow. So, well, they were concerned now, that it was an inside issue. Our, our time today has come to an end. Oh, uh, yes, already. But okay. uh, thank you. I enjoyed this uh, very great deal, and I learned a lot. Uh, and uh, so thank you very much, Dave, and thank you, Christine, and thank you, Mark, for being here also. This is the first time my we've pleasure. attempted something like this, and I think it went very well. And uh, my apologies for my board collapsing, but anyway. Um, we carried on without like you, Hercules. You again. <laughs> yes, we did. Well, good. I, I like that. <laughs> thank you. Um, I enjoyed I'd it. like to have you back on. Sure. So Definitely. I will send you an email, and let's schedule a, a part two. Um, Definitely. How can people contact you? Um, I, I think I put my, um, well, my phone number's on the, um, on the, on the bulletin that I sent you the newsletter. My, I'll, okay. I have marks, but if you, when you push my email over to Christine, she'll have it. My, my uh, okay. email address, I, David underscore Solano. I posted links to your Facebook, to your LinkedIn and to your company. So okay, uh, from the, uh, thread for the show, people can easily get uh, to you and I'll repost them. Uh, again, uh, as well, when you send me uh, emails for people that you or sites that you said that people can check out, uh, I right. will share those and then uh, repost your information. So, again, thank you so very much, and thanks to You're all welcome. of you. This was an awesome segment, and I'm looking forward to continuing. Very good, Hercules. Yep. Christine and Mark, nice, nice to meet you. It was a pleasure. Take care. Bye. We're going to listen to Brand Sardorian's King of Dreams, and then we'll be back with part two of the show.
Greetings and welcome back to the Elysium Project. I'm your host, Hercules Invictus, and our next segment is the AWA Report with Dan Uloa. Greetings and welcome, Dan. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. Things are getting so phenomenally busy. It's like time is zooming zooming by. So it's a good thing in, in many ways, and then in other ways it makes things a little bit more uh, difficult. But uh, I'm, I'm very happy that's uh, going on. And congratulations on your victory. Now $15 is the minimum wage. So uh, that that must be awesome. Yeah, it really is. Uh, we're really happy that after a lot of delay, uh, after Christie's veto, in 2016, uh, and after a year of delay, you know, we moved very quickly through the legislature. We were able to get a good bill through. I'm uh, happy to say, you know, a lot of the problems that we thought were going to happen with it in terms of leaving out youth workers, in terms of seasonal workers, like people working the boardwalk, uh, uh-huh. we were able to uh, defeat those. So, you know, it's a pretty good bill. You know, it's a great step in the right direction that way. Oh, it, it it definitely uh, is, uh, um, and it shocks me how out of tune with uh, the reality of our nation many of our leaders uh, are. I've been watching uh, YouTube videos with uh, commentary uh, by various uh, politicians uh, on uh, the $15 an hour uh, minimum, and uh, again, it's amazing. They don't seem to have any clue how their constituents live or what's important to them. Yes, certainly that. One, they have no idea how much anything uh, costs sometimes, or they don't know how little these jobs pay. That people have an idea that things were like it were are like when in the 70s, where you could kind of live off some of these jobs, for example. Or they simply don't care. Or sometimes they try to give you a false economic argument to say, I can't tell you how many times I heard that raising the minimum wage would hurt the economy and hurt workers. If yeah, you figure, yeah, if you figure that, this, that they're going to be making more money, for example, as, as while they're working at a store, your independent mm-hmm. store, while that might hurt, like think of the other workers in society who can now buy more goods from your store. Correct. For example, we're a consumer also, society, so people are going to spend money. You know, if they make more money, they're going to spend more money. Absolutely, and you know, we haven't seen, for example, out of Seattle where uh, it was first raised any studies to say that things are going worse, to say that people are losing jobs, or to say that inflation is going very high either. So it seems. Uh, that that's all bogus, and uh, you know I'm happy to say that you know starting July 1st, minimum wage in New Jersey will be ten dollars an hour. So by the end of July, people will feel that in their pockets. That is fantastic. We have to celebrate. Yeah, certainly. Now you wrote a wonderful uh, op-ed recently, and it was published. Would you care to share some uh, uh, info on that? Yes, yes. So I wrote an op-ed that was published in InsiderNJ.com. If anybody's interested in reading it, kind of detailing some of the issues I've spoken uh, on this podcast previously about, say that it's Uh entitled, you know, Helping Precarious Workers in New Jersey, that 
1099 independent contractors uh, are becoming more and more prevalent, unfortunately, the way society is going. Uh, These types of workers don't receive the benefits that direct hires uh, receive. They don't have health care. They don't have, you know, retirement plans. You know, they're not eligible for sick sick days usually. They're not eligible for overtime no workers' compensation. You know, so unfortunately, this is really growing, and it's very difficult that way. So one solution that's been proposed is the idea of a portable benefits package. So if a worker works at company A, B, and C throughout the year, they can all pay a little into the same plan for the workers. So it's an interesting model. Uh, it's worked very well for Holly. Yeah, yeah. So it's worked well in Hollywood for Hollywood production workers. They've uh, had a similar thing there for years that has worked really well for them. So we're interested in seeing how that would work elsewhere. Yeah, that that would be interesting because, again, something is better than nothing, uh, certainly. Uh, And uh, there are systems uh, globally that have... uh, proven successful that are different than the system we currently have uh, uh, in place. So uh, there, there's plenty of uh, uh, systems to explore and uh, to see how they played out over time and where they succeeded, where they failed, where they're strong, where they're weak, and um, you know, provide those type of uh, safeties again. Yeah, so we're, yeah, certainly. So yeah, we're interested in seeing how that can work out. The there's an organization called the National Domestic Workers Alliance, for example, that organizes around domestic workers in terms of nannies, babysitters, maids. It's made a great deal of headway in this area, actually, and they're seeking to start a uh, portable benefits uh, package for their members. So, you know, we're really uh, following that eagerly, for example, and you know, with the movie Roma, you know, in the Oscars highlighting a domestic worker, you know, these issues are really coming to light, so we're happy that way. I spent uh, some of my early uh, career um, working as a supervisor for home attendants, and this was way back in the uh, early 80s. And uh, initially, it seemed like things were changing for the better. But now when I look at that, uh, it really hasn't uh, over the past uh, like 30 years. Yeah, yeah, it's been fortunate that way, especially if you look at it starting around that time, uh, for example, is when start, things started to get worse, actually. And you know, healthcare workers are one of the industries that are, really exploited, so are, for example, creative professionals, uh, writers, graphic designers, which we're really interested in helping and focusing on. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's an area, you know, you feel that somebody's gone to college, you know, has developed their skill in this area, area, you know, they deserve, you know, a good wage and benefits for the work they do. So... And you know the intelligent group, yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of uh, different, uh, um, basically uh, payment uh, structures and employment structures uh, going on. I remember when I was in uh, Pennsylvania, um, I was working for a college, 
uh, for like five years, and they would only like uh, pay you 29.5 or something like that hours uh, a week. And then if you worked uh, over that, uh, because they didn't want you to be considered uh, full-time, uh, they would add to your vacation. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, or give you, like, like time off, uh, you know, for, like, like on certain days or something. Uh, but uh, um, I remember that uh, when the uh, they lost the uh, government uh, contract that I was hired under, uh, I was able to get unemployment because I'd been there so long. So even though technically I was part-time during all that time, uh, the fact that I was there for five years made the unemployment board decide that you know, I deserved unemployment, and I and I was able to get unemployment uh, uh, for that particular uh, um, period. Uh, but then I made the mistake of opening up a business to try to make some extra money, uh, supplemental money, and then because I owned the business, they discontinued <laughs> my unemployment. <laughs> and this was like you know a flea market business, so it wasn't any big you know thing. Uh, and it certainly wasn't uh, um, opening the floodgates to uh, uh, bounty and riches, but uh, because I was now a business owner, um, I wasn't uh, eligible for unemployment. So it's really weird. You know, uh, you try to change your circumstances, you try to do things, you declare them, and then you can, uh, you can be terminated uh, for things like that. Yeah, that that is, uh, for one, it's interesting that... <laughs> That a company was trying to give you a benefit that way, you know, that's better than nothing. And two, right. yeah, the the labor law is quite uninfo- unfortunate that way for those who are on that margin. For example, on unemployment, trying to be enterprising. That's a great idea. You know, flea market business is a good uh, good amount of money. You know, in secondhand things. You know, that people like. You know, antiques and the like. And to so you yeah. kind of better yourself. That way, you know, it's really difficult. You know, the way that labor law has been under attack the same way unions have since Reagan or about, you know, don't, don't, doesn't really make this a lot easier that way to be flexible, no. you know, to provide for innovation if they just want to cut and cut and cut. Now, lots of people have been flocking to your banner. Um, I'm learning this mostly through Sadie's uh, posts. Um, and uh, uh, so it's, it's really good that uh, a lot of uh, people who are organizing are finding their way to the AWA and uh, recognizing what it is that uh, you're offering and, uh, um, you know, basically uh, joining hands and uh, uh, adding their efforts to your own. Yeah, you know, we've been uh, working hard that way to, you know, branch out, for example, and you know, build partnerships with different unions, for example, civil rights organizations are uh, really important. You know, they understand how a lot of their members are repressed, both, um, you know, socially and economically, quite unfortunately. So, you know, that's a really interesting uh, intersection, as it's called, uh, for us to work with. You know, and we're also getting into different professional professional groups. You know, we started a partnership, actually. Uh, we're looking to start a partnership with a group called Mi Casa Es Mi Pueblo. I, keep, um, I, I believe that's the name. I keep, the way it works in Spanish is, I believe it translates as uh, my people is my home. 
They are they're okay, Mira, they're Mira, a, uh, mi pueblo. Or mi casa es mi pueblo, or mi pueblo es mi casa. Okay. They, I guess I'm I'm very sorry to them that I'm a little uh, tongue twisted that way right now. But they're a great organization, you know, helping a lot of Mexican American immigrants in uh, North Jersey. So we're looking to partner with them and you know have. Uh, for example, a little lecture or program in terms of uh, know your rights, you know, as a 1099 worker or any other issues they might have, for example, that, you know, we can help them with. Yeah, uh, there are a lot of uh, questions now about, like, what the best way to go with the 1099s is because uh, uh, people, including myself, are not uh, familiar with the new tax structure and what that allows you to do and doesn't allow you to do. I've heard uh, contradicting uh, uh, information on that. Uh, So I'm really looking forward to when you give your presentation, and I'll certainly be paying attention and taking notes. Uh, And uh, I'd love to do that uh, here on the show as well, because that is something that concerns a lot of people. Like uh, I, because I have a small business and I'd like that to grow, I actually prefer the 1099 uh, to uh, other payment structures, which make me like an employee. Uh, because, again, there are a minimal amount of uh, hours for the types of gigs you get in this economy. Uh, so it, it, you're really, you know, you're getting money, but it's it's nothing really that you need to be overly concerned about, um, and uh, even if you're doing several gigs. So I prefer if they pay me as an independent contractor, uh, because then, uh, again, I don't know what the case is now, then there are certain deductions that you can make, uh, you know, for uh, – uh, the amount uh, of money you're spending on growing your business and transportation and things like that, which uh, you don't get if you're uh, doing like a gig as a employee. Yeah, it's certainly true. So that brings to the issue of classification, whether you're misclassified or not. So if you have your own business, if you're able to kind of work the hours you want to work, if leaving a certain client doesn't adversely ruin your business, for example, then you're really a small business owner and you're properly classified. And that's the way it's supposed to be for people that are lawyers, for example, accountants, other sorts of professionals who can work in that way. A lot of times, you know, these right. workers who are 1099 workers are being treated like employees. They're not making the extra money that you're supposed to be making in the 1099 for example, so they're not really benefiting from that status. They don't have the leisure or the leeway to even try to build that into something, for example. So it's quite unfortunate in that respect as well. Yeah, so it's, that's it's one of the big things. Yeah. yeah, it's an open question that uh, uh, that really needs uh, to be uh, addressed because of the confusion. Uh, I found, because uh, uh, like right now, with the career center at the library, there is a lot of opportunity in gigs uh, if you understand how it can benefit you. And if you can choose, uh, you know, like the best uh, payment structure and, you know, basically understand how, like, you know, what what they're looking at when they hire you for these type of gigs and then uh, uh, what type of things they look for to, uh, like, give you more money and give you more gigs and, and so forth. So it's, it's, a, it's a very complex thing. And each... Uh, um, each agency that has gigs is slightly different. So you can't assume that what one agency did, another agency uh, is going to do also. But once you figure all that 
that's out. Um, it, you know, again, depending on what your goals are and depending on what you're trying to do and how much you need to earn, um, it's uh, a steady source of uh, opportunities if you, if you want that type of opportunity. Uh, so several of the um, uh, enrichment uh, companies, they, they have, uh, like they do after school programs and events at assemblies and things like that, um, they seem to need uh, people. And for what they pay, it's a good amount to pay, but uh, it's just gigs. And sometimes you look at it and you get a regular gig and sometimes it's just like a one-time thing. And um, so there are all those opportunities and people should know about them and take advantage of them. But by the same token, uh, there are uh, disadvantages to working uh, as an independent contractor or as an employee for one of the enrichment companies. So that too uh, should be uh, shared and made available. Yeah, certainly. So, sharing information, you know, educating people makes it a lot easier for uh, 1099 workers to be able to do this, you know, in the ideal where they do have freedom, they do have the flexibility. You know, if they have a morning doctor's appointment, if they want to work really late at night, you know, they're able to do so, you know, on some level for yeah. more of these types of gigs. You know, so that's the ideal. So for that, you know, people have found that people do like that uh, <clears throat> that uh, aspect of this. Also, if you want to build experience in a particular field, uh, or you want to build a reputation in a particular field, there there are you know, endless opportunities to just hop in with minimal commitment and and see if that's what you really want to do. And then if it is. Uh, to build up, uh, you know, like uh, some experience and uh, uh, contacts for, um, like, references and things like that. Or if you're somebody who's retired uh, and uh, you uh, don't need to work as much, they're also an excellent benefit. Like, I'm a senior now. Uh, I'm 60. Um, so uh, um, for me, as I'm slowing down a little bit in some respects, <laughs> the, the gig economy has been a source of lots of uh, – of good things. Yeah, so it's great that way, for example, for a lot of individuals, you know, we're, you know, we're happy for them. You know, it's the other people who are still struggling, for example, who are, you know, trying to survive day to day, who aren't able to pay rent, you know, who right. don't realize the nuances of the tax law, for example, is one area where it can really get you where, you have to save money or a lot of money might be expected of you at the end of the year as a 1099 worker because money isn't taken out of your paycheck the way it is for a W-2 worker. And if you're not making, you know, the money that a 1099 worker makes, it might be really hard to try to save that money too. So well, you have your that's one of the areas we want to tell people about. You have your challenges uh, cut out for you, but things uh, seem to be slowly moving uh, in a more positive uh, direction. And I'm very excited about the, the presentations you'll be giving uh, here in uh, Bergen County in the very near future. Uh, you're going to be at the launch of our career center at the Cresco Public uh, Library as a guest uh, speaker uh, and uh, several other uh, um, uh, business organizations and service organizations are also interested in uh, uh, hearing uh, um, all this information and trying to make sense out of where we currently are uh, uh, with uh, labor. So that would be awesome. 
Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. You know, it would be great to expand in Bergen County in uh, New Jersey since it's one area where you Hercules are kind of the beachhead uh, pushing it through. You know, we have more support, for example, in Middlesex County, our uh, base here, and in Essex and Passaic County. So it should be good that way. You know, I'm looking forward to it. You know, it's great to get in front of new audiences. Uh, it'll be interesting. You know, some of them, if they are, if I find more opposition, you know, in trying to either one, convince them, or one, find mutual ground. Right, right. I'm a firm believer in that as well. And we have uh, Bill. Bill's out there in Sussex and Passaic, and we have Astrid. Uh, she's out in uh, Sussex. So uh, I'm sure uh, that, uh, you know, they are aware of places where you can go spread the word and uh, um, educate people. Yeah, certainly. That's uh, definitely something uh, to keep in mind. Yeah, Sussex is difficult that way, much more, a little more rural, for example, and conservative than Bergen and Middlesex, for example. Now, you're making so much progress and you're moving forward. Um, As we start uh, wrapping up uh, today's segment, uh, give us a glimpse of the future uh, because the the present is unfolding and a lot of your vision is uh, actualizing, and that is incredibly awesome. Uh, And uh, uh, so what can we expect from the AWA in the near future? Well, you know, we're continuing... Yeah, so we're continuing to reach out to to uh, workers, for example. So, you know, we're looking to really make headways and grow our membership in terms of uh, 1099 workers, you know, and able to, for example, you know, provide them with information. You know, you know, we can discuss the type of uh, duties and uh, issues that they have in their day-to-day work uh, lives and dealing with those, for example, we might find ourselves in more specific fights and trying to deal with those situations in terms of organizing workers uh, to address grievances, for example, and partnering with other organizations dealing with such issues to see what we can do. So uh, while we're making progress, you know, it looks interesting in the future, and, and we look forward to future fights. Awesome. And uh, I'm very excited, uh, what do you call it, uh, to be interacting with you guys and be part of this unfolding adventure because, uh, again, it's, it's, uh, it has a wonderful vision it's headed in the right direction. So uh, someday they'll be talking about this in the future, and uh, it's very exciting to be a part <laughs> of it. Well, I'm glad to have you aboard, Hercules, and knock on wood that that comes true. Uh, it will come true. How can it not? Um, I'm going to play a... <laughs> song in the middle. Paul isn't here yet. Uh, so uh, would you like to uh, keep talking and uh, what, or should we take a musical break? Uh, yeah, we can take a musical break right now. He should be on soon. Okay, thanks again, Dan. I'm looking forward to seeing you very soon and uh, uh, this has been uh, an awesome and eye-opening conversation as always. Um, what I started doing with the, the segment Meet uh, the AWA is uh, I listed today all the people who've been on the segment and the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, locate the shows and links to them. 
because uh, I've made oh, it easy great. to find the shows now, but before I wasn't doing it, and it's really difficult to find the shows. Uh, and this way we can have like a page uh, somewhere. I'll post it in the AWA group uh, where people can access them uh, at any time. So that's uh, one of my projects for the coming week. Oh, that's a great idea. Okay, uh, we're going to play Castalia Alexandrians, I believe, and then we'll be back with Meet the AWA. Thank you. 
And welcome back to the Elysium Project. Now we are entering the last uh, quarter of our show, which is Meet the AWA. And we've had such wonderful people on the segment in the past, and that hasn't changed. We have a wonderful person here tonight as well. Uh, greetings and welcome, Paul Mocklin. How are you? Good. I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Uh, doing phenomenal. Um, and uh, very excited about uh, this segment. So, uh, Paul, a little bit about your background and how it led you to the AWA. Uh, well, I worked at uh, Care One in East Brunswick as a dietary aide, and I uh, was only getting paid $10 an hour, so I, was, I feel like I was getting underpaid for all the work I've done. So um, I'm friends with Dan Uloa and saw, um, found out that he was putting together this um, group for precarious young workers, and just wanted a voice for people to get more money for what they work for. And they should because uh, they're doing difficult uh, and important work, so uh, they should be compensated. And uh, um, these uh, facilities uh, tend to do very well, so uh, uh, paying their employees should be a priority. Yeah. And, and before you got into this type of position, what's your background? Uh um, I I like uh, my background is uh, in, in uh, uh, food and nutrition and uh, I've been uh, around all that in all my life and uh, I'm also come from a mixed background myself. I'm a uh, Chinese, French, and Italian, so I have a very diverse culture in my in that myself. That's very cool. Mm-hmm. So um, now, what is your dream and vision for the AWA? Because I, I know you work very hard in the AWA, and we've marched together. Uh, so uh, what is your vision? What future are you uh, struggling towards? Um, just more uh, more people getting uh, jobs, because I know jobs are very un- unavailable right now because there's so many people without jobs. So just having people um, get better jobs, and uh, we'll do that by – Promoting our our uh, um, organization through tabling at various fairs and um, and events throughout New Jersey. And uh, other than uh, marching, uh, what else do you do within your organization? Other than marching, I, I help uh, the president. I help the founder, Daniela. Um, um, I help him put um, find events to do tabling and get our word out, like pretty much advertisement and, and promotion of the club, I mean the organization. So that is very cool. So so do you have free time? Because <laughs> you were very busy when I met you, uh, and it sounds like you're very busy now between the work and uh, between uh, uh, I'm sure you have friends, family, and uh, other you know, significant people in your life. And uh, um, so you must be very busy all the time. Yes, I am. Uh, I'm in my dietetic internship right now, and I'm in a music project, um, and also, um, yeah, seeing friends, and also, I find time, I allocate time for everything, and AWA is very important to me, one of those to fit in my schedule, so. 
I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate to be friends with Daniel for a while and helping him see, um, helping him with his vision of starting this organization and helping other precarious workers. And that is that is very noble, and I'm glad that you're doing it. Now, one of the things I did in the past, I've, I've done a lot of. Uh, uh, workforce-related uh, type of things is I, I was a vocational counselor. And it's always fascinated me um, what attracts people to certain uh, occupations. So um, what was it about health care um, that attracted you? Uh, just helping people out because I know we have an epidemic right now of um, especially in America, obese people, and I just want to have people eat better and uh, <clears throat> change people's lives and make people feel better about themselves. So I just want to help people and get be- get healthy and you know, live a healthy lifestyle. And what do you find the biggest challenges with that are? Like uh, for me, I, I know when I'm not eating healthy, uh, it's basically I fall into uh, um, like habits that aren't good. And if, if I am eating healthy, it's because I'm taking the time to cultivate uh, uh, good habits and I'm able to watch myself and not you know, rely on other people to be uh, watching. What are some of the challenges of getting people to eat right? Um, well, the first challenge is that um, they're all, they have a, a lot of them have a, a set culture, so they're not they're accustomed to they're set in their way. So it's hard for them to change how they think and how they eat. So um, to ch- to change that, um, just telling them how this benefits their health, a certain food benefits their health. So it, it's a lot of work. To, it's uh, but I'm more confident in helping uh, everybody and working with their different eating habits. So. I'm very patient. And, and, do you, and do you actually, you, you prepare things, like other set menus, and uh, people take a particular uh, menu, and then you make sure that they get the healthiest type of food? Yes, based on their dietary needs and restrictions and what have you. So I follow a guideline in, of what, what their diet is. So, yes. So you, you follow the the guideline, and um, found that uh, um, dealing at the end of life, a lot of those rules are relaxed because the person is you know no longer like things that were considered important while there was still a chance that they would continue living are no longer as uh, um, as uh, important, um, and uh, that's always fascinated me. Mhm. Yeah, a lot of. I don't know if that makes. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense, but those. Uh, fascinated me that that uh, at a certain point things cease to matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, especially when they're in a nursing home. Uh, like for old, el- the elderly, they the only thing they look forward to is food. So when when they get excited, and they when they get excited about food, so I try to make their last few meals um, and make them smile. <laughs> Good, <laughs> and. Uh, um, what was it about the elderly? Because, all right, I, I can understand how you got into healthcare and why you got into healthcare, but why the elderly as opposed to like younger people with dietary problems? Well, the elderly, um, I worked at, a, like I said, I worked at a nursing home care one, and um, for for me personally, the elderly, I seem to have empathy, empathy towards them, and they like me, and I can I can talk it's easy to talk to them. They always 
SME to get them stuff, and Opal is very reliable, so, and, and that, that way they're very nice, you know, I want to um, help them in their last few years of their life, you know, just make them feel happy, and uh, have them uh, enjoy their last few meals on this earth. No, that that is very important. I've worked in uh, um, also like uh, um, when I worked in uh, New York, I worked at Elmhurst Hospital. So I worked with the, uh, um, the seniors in psychiatric units, mm-hmm. and uh, I've also uh, when I worked in hospitals, I worked uh, in uh, ICUs where a lot of people who are older, you know, wind up when they come to the the hospital. And uh, I learned a lot of uh, valuable life lessons from uh, these uh, people. Uh, one of them, uh, one thing I kept seeing over and over again, and uh, this has like greatly influenced my life, uh, is that um, the people are still lucid when they're in the bed and they're not leaving that bed. Mm-hmm. Um, the things that matter are small things. So if you have good memories, if you, if you if you lived your life you know well and uh, have a lot of pleasant memories, that's like the best treasure you can have, and they're very mm-hmm. generous in sharing that treasure. And uh, if you have regrets, that's the worst thing you could have if you're still uh, lucid when you're in that bed, because uh, then they played you. And those two mm-hmm. small things, not not telling somebody how you felt about them, having had an opportunity to do something or go somewhere. Uh, either alone or with uh, somebody important, and then, you know, having been afraid of what other people would say, not doing it. You know, those are the type of things that plague you in the end. And then having even one person, even if that person is a paid person, uh, to come visit you every now and then and say a few pleasant words, uh, that's like uh, the greatest uh, gift, you know, that, that there's at least another human being uh, that cares enough uh, that you're alive to visit you and come communicate with you periodically. So uh, it's kind of like all of life boiled down to that. And I've tried to live my life that way, that, uh, you know, I try to um, do the things and say the things that are important to me. I try not to do things that I'm going to regret. And then, uh, um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping uh, at least some of the people around me will care enough uh, when I'm in that bed to visit me occasionally if I'm lucid. But uh, I found that it had a profound effect on my life when I started uh, looking at it from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good perspective to look upon, yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree. What type, what type of lessons have you learned from the people that you work with, both uh, the employees and also – because I'm sure a lot of the employees – um, I've supervised home attendants, and I, I've done all sorts of things again in the past. And some of the people live very heroic uh, stories. Uh, like uh, Dan had said, you know, they're working long hours. They're not being compensated. You know, they're, they're not, uh, um, you know, they're struggling to pay the bills. And yet, heroically, they've placed themselves in positions where uh, they're working with people who need a lot of help and are providing that help. So you, you must be a lot of inspiring uh, people um, both patients and coworkers uh, in where you work. Yes, yeah, I have that. And uh, to go back to what you said, uh, I have so I have to work two jobs because right now I'm in my internship. But I have to work two jobs to right. to pay the bills. So the nursing home and uh, I worked with my friend uh, through um this his nonprofit called Disability Allies, helping a a guy with autism. So. Wow. So yeah, I have, I worked long hours, did doubles at the nursing home, and I looked up to all the 
nurses and how they stay at long hours and help all these um, um, sickly people. So, so that must uh, inspire you to keep uh, moving uh, forward. Mm-hmm. It inspire me to keep pressing onward and forward in my career as a healthcare in the healthcare profession. Where do you see yourself going in, in the health care uh, profession? Do you have like an, an end goal? Like, for instance, with me, uh, with uh, Workforce, who was uh, being the director of like a, a, a city uh, um, uh, program. You know, so I was uh, the uh, director of a welfare to work program, then eventually the free welfare to work program. So uh, after that, I felt that, okay, I, I've done this, I've reached uh, this particular position, I really don't want to go any further. Uh, so I started doing other things. Do you have any, like, end position that you're striving for? Yeah. Um, since I'm in my dietetic internship right now, I want to be a, le- a clinical dietitian in the f- in the future because I'm finishing up my internship in June. So I want to be a lead dietitian at a hospital somewhere. So. so that's right around the corner. That is awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's pretty soon. I'll be finishing this summer, so I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited for you. That That's right. It, it, it will blink and we'll be there. So that's right around the corner. And mm-hmm. uh, are there opportunities right now for dietitians in, in hospitals? Yes, they're always looking for hospitals, especially male. Um, not to sound sexist here, but um, most most dietitians are females, so it's it's good to have, like, a different perspective with a male dietitian. That is awesome, and uh, you, you've actually inspired me to start uh, next time I have a conversation with uh, Dan to look into an entirely uh, uh, other area we can, uh, you know, perhaps uh, help people by uh, mapping out like the new career paths. And uh, you know your field, and uh, um, you're willing to work hard, and you're able to um, move through the early uh, difficult times most people get stuck in, uh, and move uh, ahead. So uh, mm-hmm. uh, back when I was involved in workforce, I was, you know, very much, uh, I knew a lot of that. And that's how I found out about Bill Waitman because uh, he was like a, an idol of mine because he was uh, uh, doing a lot of work on statistics and uh, uh, talking to different agencies. And I used that information to do my thing in uh, New York City. Um, but uh, maybe, you know, that, that's a way we can help people that, you know, right now you're stuck, you know, we're here to help you uh, while you're stuck and, and try to get uh, justice, economic justice. Uh, but maybe we could also help people navigate through the difficult waters and um, see through the blind spots they currently have to get to get ahead and to move ahead. Mm-hmm. Now, do you also like go out and talk to groups on uh, uh, like local churches or uh, local libraries or anything on eating healthy? Because I know a lot of uh, places are looking for like information on that. That people in the communities are are looking for that. I, I did that um, in my community rotation. I did a lot of talks to the to the um, to the to the public, especially in Long Branch and you know where the area is big on healthcare and wellness. So I have done that, but I haven't done that recently. I want to get back to that when I'm finished with my internship, getting out in the community and giving talks about eating healthy and, you know, um, giving tips on how to better yourselves, better people's lives and eating better. better. 
Oh, that's awesome. And if you need a place to talk or, you know, if you're interested in talking in Bergen County, uh, we're always looking for uh, speakers on various topics uh, to help uh, educate people. So uh, I will let you know when we're doing that, and uh, you're more than welcome to speak there. Oh, great. Thank you very much. Will this uh, – you said you're already making $10 an hour, and uh, uh, Dan had said that uh, in July $10 an hour will be the norm. Uh, will the mm-hmm. norm being $10 an hour move your salary up to like 12.50 or something in the near future, or uh, will you have to wait until it goes up to 15 for it actually to like jump up to 15? Oh well, um, I quit the Care One job, and if I get my dietitian job, they make a lot more money. So, but I want to help other precarious workers get and give more justice with their pay. So, um, and you know, you know, even though I'm more fortunate, I want to help the less fortunate, if you know what I mean. Yes, I know exactly what you mean, and it, it, I I admire that. And where did this impulse uh, come from? Is it something uh, like in your family background? Is it something in your spiritual or religious background? Or is it something that developed uh, within you uh, quite different from you know, uh, the environments that you were raised? Just uh, something in um, in something in me that sparks, you know, I see what's going on in the world today, and I want to change how, you know, change how the system is, and you know the the um the middle class and the upper class and lower class. I want to change all that. You know what I mean? Yes, I know exactly what you mean. Again, I'm I'm all for that, and I guess uh, the last. Uh, like big question we'll wrestle with uh, tonight is um, what type of world do you see arising from from all of this? Um, from all of this, I see a world that could possibly be everyone be the same and everyone uh, be well off with good jobs and have a nice utopian society. So you know that kind of thing. And it's great that you're uh, fighting for that society. You're working towards uh, making that society a, a reality. Um, I do that uh, a lot, too. I, I think about the world not as it is, but as I'd like it to be, and mm-hmm. uh, a more fair world, a more uh, a less polluted uh, world, a less dangerous world. And then I ask myself, what can I do today, even if it's a little, you know, what can I do today to help bring that world into into being, and I have notebooks full of <laughs> describing the type of world uh, I'd like to have at any particular point in time. And I find that if you focus on that, um, life doesn't become easier, but it becomes much more uh, purposeful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this way, you're not just being tossed and turned by the winds of chance, but you know you might be going through a storm, but you know where you're headed. You know you have a destination in mind, so it helps you put. Uh, uh, the difficult times in perspective because you're you're going somewhere and you you must experience that with your internship too because you're going someplace good you're going uh, to a position that you greatly desire and you're willing to work for so uh, all those times you're tired and you can't go someplace because you're working or 
your your internship or you know and uh the the time that you're spending in the world uh, trying to make it a better place for everybody else uh, uh the people you're working uh, with and the people that you're you're serving um because you want to create this utopian world and because again you're somebody who's willing to put in the time um mm-hmm. you can imagine a world that's better for everybody because you're capable of making the world better for yourself and those around you. So that's always uh, a great thing. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yep, I agree. That's what I want to do and, and the way in the world we live in today, you know, like you said, you know, it's I want to be a less dangerous world and less world of um, fear and uncertainty. Well, good. I salute you and uh, let's work together on that. Because uh, uh, I believe that we can have that world. Mm-hmm. Me too. Yeah. Now, um, in terms of uh, your work with the AWA, um, when you do outreach and when you give uh, presentations, what do you find appeals uh, to people? Like, what what type of things are important to them? Because I know when I talk, sometimes something I consider important uh, isn't really important. So it's good to find out what other people consider is important. Um, what do you find uh, that people who are looking for economic uh, justice, uh, what type of issues, other than, again, earning enough money to support their families and uh, have a quality life, what other type of uh, um, motivations do they have for getting involved in uh, like a labor movement? Um, better better um, conditions in the workplace, um, better, uh, better bosses, better coworkers, you know, the stability of the job, you know, benefits, that kind of thing. Okay, that is incredibly awesome. And uh, I'm going to invite uh, Dan back in um, so that uh, we can all better work together. Greetings, Dan. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Okay, um, you have an awesome individual in uh, Paul. He's very dedicated uh, to uh, creating a better life for himself and for everybody in this world, and that's to be very much uh, uh, admired. Um, and we had spoken about like the, the importance of having a vision uh, for a better world and working hard toward making that vision a, a reality. And uh, um, I would like to work with uh, Paul a little bit more because I'm familiar with the health field. I'm not a dietitian. I, I was more like a therapist and uh, um, a workforce uh, person and uh, so forth. But uh, I like the whole thing of, uh, um, you know, basically uh, working through labor to create a better world for everybody and, like, trying to imagine that world. So uh, um, I don't know where that particular adventure would go, but I just wanted to bounce it off you before uh, – um, I invite uh, Paul on an adventure. I'm going to wait till he gets his uh, um, dietary uh, uh, certification so that he could start, uh, you know, working where he's gaining. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Sounds great that way. You know, Paul's been a good friend for a number of years. You know, I'm glad to have him on board with AWA. Thank yeah, you, Dan. Awesome. Thank you, Hercules. How did you guys meet? Did you meet in school? Did Paul well, loves to tell the story, actually. <laughs> yeah, we uh, okay, we so met at high school. Well, actually, we met at uh, a day camp, summer day camp first, and then we really connected in uh, high school when uh, we were playing tennis in gym class together. <laughs> <laughs> and Dan was uh, not a big not a big fan of tennis, so then we just started talking, and the rest was history. So. 
Awesome. And it's always good when uh, childhood friends uh, stay connected and do great things. So um, I would like to thank you very much for being a guest on tonight's show. And again, thank you, Dan, for being a guest on tonight's show. And uh, I'm looking forward to working with you as individuals and as part of uh, the AWA. Um, how can people get in contact with uh, the AWA, uh, or, you know, and either for assistance or to um, donate some time and energy towards uh, making the world a better place? So our email address is american.workforce1 at gmail.com. You know, if they want more information on us, uh, we have our website, americanworkforce.net, and our Facebook group, the American Workforce Association. So, you know, we're always happy to have new people and answer any questions anyone might have. Thank you again to both of you, and I'm looking forward to the next installment of uh, the AWA Report and uh, Meet the AWA. Uh, Take care, and thank you to all those who are with us tonight uh, listening. Uh, I apologize again for the technical difficulties that plagued the first quarter of the show, but fortunately we got those under control. Everybody have a wonderful night. And again, thanks to uh, Dan and Paul. Thank you very much. Have a good night, guys. You too. Thanks for listening to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. Join us seven nights a week for exciting programming covering a variety of expressions of faith. And remember, all manifestations of the divine are equally valid.